In this edition of the podcast, Weavers, Merchants and Kings. The exhibition at Sydney's Powerhouse Museum that celebrates the 70th anniversary of Kadri's Rugs and recognises the Kadri family's decades of generosity as powerhouse donors. The exhibition features many historic woven objects, including a world-first display of a rare and enormous Royal Persian Dorosh carpet. I'm Tim Stackpool, and this is Inside the Gallery. Once again, thank you for downloading the podcast. I certainly really appreciate all the support from everyone. And as always, as I stand here, level four of Powerhouse Museum, close to the highly vaulted ceiling in this place, I do wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is being produced today. That's the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. And pay my respects on behalf of everybody listening to their elders past, present and emerging. And of course, we're here to catch up with a great friend of the podcast, Professor Pedram Kozronajad, who is the curator of Persian artefacts here at the Powerhouse Museum. Pedram, always a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. Good afternoon, team. Thank you so much for giving uh, the time of your beautiful podcast for us. And I welcome you and your participant in the podcast to the Weavers, Merchants and Kings 70th anniversary of Kadri's business in Australia. Now, there's a number of artefacts here which come from cadres exclusively. Is that what we're looking at at the powerhouse today? The exhibition is dedicated to Jack Cadre's legacy and their family business known in Australia as cadres. The exhibition, we have 14 objects. Majority comes from Cadre's family collection, except four of them that I will uh, show and talk about that to you soon. And we have here in the first gallery is this huge Dorosh carpet uh, made in the east of Iran in Khorasan. The second gallery dedicated to Paul Ratzer legacy. And the third gallery are other uh, Rajar objects from Kadri's collection. And in the very end, we have an interview nicely done with Bob Kadri regarding the history of their family. So he's the, is he the son or the grandson of the original Kadri? Bob Kadri is the son, youngest son of Jack Kadri and at the moment the manager of Kadri's business because they have two showrooms, one in Sydney run by Bob's youngest son Jared and the other showroom in Melbourne run by eldest son of uh, Bob Ari Kadri. So it's really family business. Yeah. And, and I have to admit, I don't know the history all that well, but they're almost, I mean, they're the, they're the original guys who pretty much brought Persian rugs and that whole concept, the artistry, of course, and, and the great work that they are to Australia so many years ago. Yes, actually, the grandfather, uh, Jack Kadri, was the first Persian Jewish immigrant to Australia, landed here in 1951. And began his business and for Persian and Oriental carpet in Sydney in 1952. Bob Kadri told me and the other protagonists in my research around Jack Kadri, he was really a person who collected objects and collected people. How so? The thing historically is that after the First World War, Persia, today Iran, became a safe land. For those, he struggled the big depression period of the Europe. 
And suddenly Iran became a market for good, talented Westerners, most Europeans, to come to Iran for infrastructure developments. But in the same time, they found safe place. But with the outbreak of Second World War, they needed to leave Iran again. And somehow, many of them came to Australia, but they didn't know each other. And Jack Kadri, I can confirm, probably was the eminent philanthropist philosoph, lover of Persian and European history, poetry, literature. And when he came here, I think if he could, he wanted to create the faculty of Persian and Oriental studies. But in the same time, he was a man dedicated to family, his family. He said when he arrived in Australia, found, oh, this is the safe country when I should raise my children. He opened his showroom in Edgecliff, where still they are there for Persian carpet. But if not on daily basis, weekly basis, little by little, those who lived in Iran fled Iran because of many political, cultural, religious issues. And non-Iranians they are. None of them are Iranians. Only Jack is Iranian. They found themselves welcome to the Jack Kadri's shop and sit, have a nice Persian tea, and learn from him about things, or share their experiences, which will arrive in this exhibition, talk about Paul Ratzer, work together, and they created the friendship that long until their life. So yes, you are right, after Jack, his sons Eddie, and now Bob, and two grandchildren of Jack, Ari, and Jared, they are the first that presented the authentic, mm. you know, Persian rugs. Authentic Persian rugs. Now, we'll, we'll talk about the actual pieces that you have here in the exhibition in a moment. But first of all, I mean, you are of Iranian heritage. When you think about the cadres here in Australia, are they like the poster boys of Persia for people like you here in this country, for other Persians in this country? Are they, are they held up with significantly high esteem? Good question. I look at them as a cultural ambassadors of Persia. For three generations minimum in Australia and more than, I think, other three generations in Persia, Kadri's family were there holders of this culture of Persian carpet and antique carpets. They traveled generation in Iran between Persia, Israel, Europe, especially London, and just, you know, wherever they did go, all carpet dealers, they knew them because they understood they are the lovers of the craft not only the buyers or dealers. They knew them as a keepers of the crafts of Persia. And this is now what I see, yes, in uh, Kadri's family. Bob and his two children are really the lovers and keepers of Persian art and craft. They are the connoisseur of the, you know, the beauty and aesthetic. And they value today in 21st century fighting against the negative part of, for example, labor, uh, help uh, women 
in you know craft of carpet in different countries i'm aware that uh, sustainability is very important for them and when you sit with them in the showroom uh, as i did many times even people they don't know when they come in i think when they go out is like they read half a book you know about uh, persian islamic art and craft and like their father and grandfather they collect people people too uh, yes. you know and is reciprocal they also learn from people so they are very welcoming family is not only business for them they are really the keepers of the culture and the heritage of persia now, the title image that I'm using for this podcast is the piece which is in front of us here, Pedram. It's enormous. It's the first piece you see when you come up to level four of the, of the powerhouse to take a look at this exhibition, Weavers, Merchants and Kings. You need to tell us a little bit about this because it, it, it's enormous and it's, it's rich in its content. Thank you so much, Tim. Yes, it's a rare, unique carpet in the world which has only one twin sister, uh, which is in Golestan Palace Museum in Tehran, who was the last palace of the last real king of Persia. Dorosh carpets belong to a school of carpet weaving of Persia, which I can confirm, probably closed by early 20th century because of the Europeanization of Persia. Dorosh is a little, it was a little, now maybe a little city, in the province of Khurasan near the Birjand. In technical matter, they are famous because of the Persian tide of the carpet, because of large size and the thick, you know, bounds around the carpet. And normally in the middle, they have normal design with a medallion shape form. But what we have here, is a special type of carpet. The importance of this carpet is when definitely it was made in village of Doroch in Iran. The patron and the person who ordered this carpet to be made somehow was connected to India. When we look at the image in the center of this carpet, is in matter of a school of iconography is Qajar Persia. But the content is Indian architecture in two-thirds of the carpet. And on the top is very interesting. I will tell you a little bit later. If I look around the outside of this, the border area, I, I see what would I, I would guess is regular sort of Islamic architecture yes which mixture absorbed in indian traditional yes. architecture but but the interior of the rug of course is very much unlike that which is where you're saying the indian the influence comes yes, from yes exactly but let's look at the image at the whole and see if we can have some more put it in the context after my preliminary research on the carpet what we have in front of us is the port of city of Surat in Gujarat, India which based on historical material that I could find had import and export connections to the southern ports of the Persia for the textile and carpets from Khorasan region from Iran but 
if you go from top, first we have amazing sky full of stars. On the top, we had Lady Sunshine, in Farsi you say Khurshid Khanum, which is Gajar typically. And in left, very end of left, very end of right side of the sky, which is full of stars and sunshine, we have two moons. How is possible that in one sky we see all the stars, sun and two moons? When we come down, we see a series of mountain chains and in the middle there is a white one and then we have the sea and little boats that they are navigating and then we come to the land with this Indian architecture for me what we see on the mountains is Persia and that white mountain in the middle is the symbol of Persia the Damavand mountain which since History written in Persia is the symbol of Persia, that Damavand mountain. And the water and those boats is Persian Gulf and showing the trade route, Indian trade route between Persia and India. And those boats are those that do this import-export. And that beautiful sky shows how the navigators on the Indian Ocean use Islamic astronomy and astrology because of the situation of stars, sun and moon to find their way from Persian Gulf to Surat and vice versa. So, and when we come to this bottom of the carpet, which is two-thirds of the design, we have beautiful architecture of city of Surat, but building is like early modern architecture and if you go very closely there are smokes come out of the chaminée which bring to our attention Surat always was a city famous for the makers of the textile but once India became colonized Indian office Indian company created modern European textile factories in Surat, which is still today they exist. So what we see is internal, probably late 19th century, inside the Surat city. It's interesting that it creates that connection between Persia and India, because perhaps to most people, those who are not educated in this, you wouldn't actually even consider that there'd be too much of a connection there. And yet this work here cements that. Well, uh, this is true, but we should always, I said in class, Persia has big debt to India because today, if really we want to learn about big part of Persian literature, we need to go to Indian libraries. We should not forget that between 16th and 18th century, the Islamic period of India that we call it Mongol Empire, Persia and Iran, they had very, very deep connections. And many of the court intellectual philosophers, writers, artists of India, they were from Persia. It's fascinating that a single piece like this, as enormous as it is, has so much depth and takes us so much further back in history to this education that you are talking about. Let's move on to the, yes, next, the, the next gallery. I can see two plinths that you've set up. They're glazed. So are these particularly precious pieces? What do we have first of all? This gallery is regarding the legacy of Paul Ratzer. 
And I'm happy to let you know that Paul Rass's daughter is with us and will join us in a few minutes. But before uh, she joined us, I just explained who was Paul Ratzer and what we have here. Paul Ratzer was a well-educated uh, intellectual Russian. During the Russian Revolution, he didn't like, you know, uh, the situation. And with his young wife came to Iran, settled down in Iran. And probably he's one of the most important non-Iranians who will engage in the art and craft production and trade of Persian carpets. What we have here in the right side showcase, we have four beautiful uh, designs of Persian carpets done by the hand of Paul Ratzer in Iran in 1930s. These are original pieces, are they? They are original pieces, and we are very lucky and proud that they are part of Powerhouse Collection today. And this is the first time that four of them showcase together for the public. So Paul Rasser in Iran designed them and gave it to their own weavers. And there the weavers, what we have in second plane right, uh, produce such a beautiful uh, refined carpet, which is wool here in front of us with Botejeke designs. In left side, we have photographs of Paul Ratzer and his wife in Persia. And in the right side, we have photographs of Paul here in like British dressing, working with a local carpet weavers of Torbat Jam in Khorasan. How far back would this date, this piece that we're standing in front of? Paul Ratzer, as his daughter will tell us, was active in Iran in this business probably between 1920s and 1930s, and they left Iran uh, a year before the outbreak of Second World War. So this beautiful uh, carpet today belonged to Kadri families that they loaned us, but originally it was uh, part of Paul Ratzer collection. Close to 100 years then? Close to 100 years, yeah. And I see that uh, Renetta Ratzer is coming. Uh, hello, Renetta. Thank you so much for your time. And welcome to, I think, your own family gallery. Thank you, Petram. I'm Renata Ratzer. I'm the daughter of the late Paul and Barbara Ratzer, who in almost all his time in Australia were good friends with Monsieur Jacques, as we all used to call the founder of Cadre's Carpets. Renata, can you just let us know a little bit about your family and yourself and what was the story that parents came to Australia? Well, my parents were Russians of the Ancien Regime. My mother's father was a general in the Grenadier Guards. My father was in charge of strategy and tactics in the Imperial White Army. And they fought off the Bolsheviks in the revolution as long as they could. And then, when it was obviously useless, he escaped over the mountains with his wife and a British half-crown piece in his pocket into Persia, where there were Sunday adventures, fighting to keep the Bolsheviks out of Russia with Prince Khan working as a coolie until he, they discovered what else he could do. And then eventually he looked around and thought, what can you do in this country? More especially, 
what can you do in the, this country when you have two PhDs, but your government has a price on your head and is not going to acknowledge your qualifications. And he came to the conclusion that the best thing in Persia was the rugs. They were fantastic. They had a wonderful and rich history. They were beautiful, they were creative. So, daddy being daddy, he had himself apprenticed as a weaver, got his master weaver certificate, which Bob Cadry saw once, and I still have the two little rugs he designed and wove himself as his masterpieces. Then he founded and made a very profitable business, designing and weaving his own rugs. He had his own team of weavers. He had his own flocks of sheep. He would drive, uh, drive or ride across the desert very early in the morning to inspect them, cull out the black sheep and so on. This continued until 1932. And they loved living in Persia. They loved the people. They loved the, the culture. They had good friends. But my father became increasingly aware the Persian government, as it then was, was becoming increasingly pro-German. While he hated the Bolsheviks with a great passion, of course, they having murdered all his family and destroyed his homeland, he also disliked the Nazis with a great passion, since half his family were of Jewish origin. And anyway, in principle, he disliked what they stood for. So he left Persia for England in the beginning of 1932. They were there very profitably. He only ever made two copies of the one rug design, and they'd have a different color background, each one, and one would go to England and one would go to the United States. So you never had two people with the same rug. Anyway, at the end of the 30s, the doctors said that my mother's health would not survive another English winter, and she needed sunshine. And that's why they came to Sydney, Australia, which was supposed to have one of the highest daily quotas of sunshine in the world. In 1939, on the last civilian ship allowed out of England before the declaration of war, with a private cabin for the Chow Chow dog. The dog was one of the great stories of my childhood. It was in quarantine for six months after they arrived in Sydney, and two weeks later after he got out, he got a tick and was killed. However, apart from that little tragedy, Paul looked around and discovered that there was absolutely nobody in Australia who knew what a Persian rug was or cared. The Cadleys had enough trouble in 1952 when at least some of the post-Hitler refugees were coming over. But this was 1939. We didn't even have Hungarians. So he um, bought up a whole lot of Harbour Front real estate and changed his focus to that. However, I remember coming home from school when I was about 12 years, 1956, to hear them very excited because they'd met a Persian. A charming gentleman who spoke French, as they did, was very, very cultivated and very, very interesting. And they were over the moon because it was a fairly 
lonely existence for intellectual refugees in the 1930s and 40s, as you can imagine. They got on very, very well and became family friends ever after. My father was a whiz at real estate, and I think he helped Monsieur Jacques set up the, uh, the business a little bit and certainly helped him buy um, that wonderful uh, building they had in New South Wales, Rose, Rose Bay. Um, now we are in the gallery where in these two showcases, uh, right side, we have four beautiful rock design painting by your beloved father, Paul. And left side, we have one beautiful rock uh, designed and made under supervision of your father. Mm. How your father talked about those periods in Iran and how he engaged with Persian carpet design and production. I wish I could tell you more, but you know, you, you don't listen to the important details when you're a kid. You want the romantic bits of the story. However, I remember him telling me that there used to be a huge room with many looms and the weavers would all be working on them. And there was a large stool with a sort of superintendent dictating in a sing-song voice. And if you look under all my dad's carpet designs, there are little squares with different colours and numbers. Yes. And those are the dye lots of the different wools. Because he bought his own wool, he made his own dyes. Yes. And the person up there would be saying, six knots to the right, pink B17. Seven knots upwards, blue, dark blue, C18 or whatever. And so it went on, which is really all I remember of the process, except that once, once he became successful, of course, there were lots of attempts at industrial espionage. And one of the workers tried to spy in the vat to find out the secret of these dyes and unfortunately fell in and was sort of boiled, boiled into soap. Not nice. I know that when he was working, they had by that stage a British driver called Ward and they would set off at two o'clock in the morning across the desert before it got too hot to visit the outlying villages, to check on the fleeces, to check on some of the tribal rugs, to buy the wool and so on. And there will be many trips to Afghanistan, to India, to Turkmenistan, to look at tribal rugs, to buy, to sell. For a man who was primarily, well, his doctorates were in pure mathematics and economics, and he always said economics wasn't a serious subject, it wasn't a science. He could be right. Someone who simultaneously studied military science and tactics. He was also a very creative man. And he loved creating those designs. Mummy said sometimes if he'd got an idea that worked, you could hear him laughing from the other room because he was so happy. And I remember my father used to teach me how you could tell what was handmade, what wasn't, how many knots, how you could tell was an, this was a nomadic tribe rug because 
you could see the slight change when they moved from one place to the other and the loom tension change, change and all of those things. Do you have a seal any of the designs of uh, your father of Persian carpets? I don't. I gave them all to Cadiz when, when I moved to Adelaide, really, because I thought they're just going to sit in the bottom of a chest. Sure. And Cadiz are the only people in the world who know what they're worth, who appreciate them, who will do something with them. Thank you, Renata, for your time. Thanks very much, Petra. She's a remarkable woman. She, she is really remarkable and she has very, very uh, good memories, sharp eyes. And as she's a teacher also, she's a very good storyteller indeed, Tim. So in the third part of your exhibition here, you have some pieces again behind glass set back. A few photographs here. Who are these people in, the, in these pictures here? Well, in the first photograph left side, we have... Uh, Jack Cadry is in his showroom in Sydney in 1966 with one of his apprentices to learn how to uh, work on the carpet, uh, repairing the carpet. And in the right side, we have uh, a father, Jack Cadry, in the middle, and left side, Bob Cadry, right side, Eddie Cadry, and the date back to 1980 uh, in David Jones Art Gallery in Sydney. In this showcase also we see very beautiful Qajar uh, textile which was made in Yazd. Uh, it's a wool and zari buff and on the top we have a, another uh, Safavid pen box and I'm happy to let you know that both of them are after it's been donated by Kadri families to the powerhouse collection. Yeah, looking at the didactic on the wall, it says that the textile may date back to 1850. Yes, the majority of these objects belong to Qajar dynasty, yeah. which is between 1725 to 1925. Yeah, and the pen box that's also featured here, it says 1700 Isfahan during Safavid period. Incredible. Very prestigious objects. Incredible. They donated uh, to us, yes, definitely. Moving along? Yes, in this gallery... We have very rare and beautiful uh, little carpet. We call this series of carpets uh, royal ported carpets because uh, they depict the portrait of Qajar kings. But they came to the market mostly during early 20th century and after the invention of photography. So what we have here, we have the last king of Qajar, Ahmad Shah Qajar, uh, who fled Iran for Europe. And uh, this piece of rug, they are very rare, made in, as I told you, early 20th century, this one in Kashan. And this series of carpet we call the Muhtasham. On the top of the head of king, uh, we have poetry, which is from Sadi, a famous Persian poet. It appears it's around a metre by a metre. It's not quite square. No. There, no. Is, a, there is a portrait of the Shah. In, as in you the ha- middle, in his official uniform, with official hat, hat which is Qajar hat, with jewellery and crown. It's a mixture of that. Uh, his army uniform and a medallion on, uh, on his left, left side of his chest. Handwoven? Handwoven, yes, exactly, in the city of Kashan in Iran in 1900. And there's also here a young woman's garment, which indicates it dates back to 1850s as well. We've been talking about rugs and carpets here, but 
I guess in, in terms of creating this as well, there's no reason why we shouldn't see textiles no, of this fashion. No, because weaving, weaving in Iran is deep, has deep tradition for thousand years. And weaving this type of Zaribafi, which uh, again comes from Kashan, the city of Kashan, the, begins from, you know, uh, late Safavid and Qajar period, goes very popular product for making, you know, dress, garments, especially for women. And what we have in front of us is very uh, refined example of uh, those uh, series. And use, one of the usage of textile was making this type of very refined but expensive, you know, garments. It is a very fine way. Very, no very doubt. fine. And I'm happy to again confirm that also this object uh, was donated to the powerhouse by the Kadri families. It's lovely. Now, in the background, you might be able to hear a recording, an interview that you did. Yes, this is the interview that I did with Bob Kadri regarding the oral history of their family and their business. And uh, this film will be uh, every day uh, in the end, you know, uh, looping and visitors of exhibition can see it and just learn more about the history of cadres. But I should add that every day we have also a documentary film in our cinema, King Cinema and Museum, which talk about the twin sister of Doroch's carpet uh, in the first gallery. I encourage everyone to come and sit and uh, watch that film if they would like to learn more about the school of Doroch's carpet weaving with this type of Indian iconography. Now, how long does this exhibition run for, Pedro? The exhibition opened officially on September 8th and will go until 22nd, January 23, and is open and free to the public even weekends from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Excellent. Good sell. Good sell there, Pedro. And, and you've got a round table. You have a discussion, something else coming up in October? Yes. Uh, we have a round table on October 15th at 11 a.m., is a Saturday in Teatret in Powerhouse Museum, which is free for everyone. Uh, during this panel or roundtable, me and Bob Kadri and Dr. Mahrum Musavi, who is a lecturer and history of Islamic and architecture at Sydney University, will discuss this Doroch carpet and put it in the social, cultural, and political the history of Persia and India. And I really encourage everyone to come and join us in this panel. Obviously, you're very proud of the, the work of the cadres as well, the, the heritage that they bring to Australia and also this exhibition. It's, uh, it's fabulous stuff. If you love anything to do with Persian history, uh, anything to do with weaving or textiles, it's really worth coming to the powerhouse to have a look at. And Pedram, as always, lovely to walk around the museum with you and thank you so much for your time on the podcast. Thank you, Tim. Jack Cadre began to donate Persian objects to the Powerhouse Museum since 1962. So, yes... I'm very proud that after all these years, 70 years, for the first time, we celebrate this connection between Cadres and Powerhouse. And I hope, and I'm sure, not hope, the future generation of Cadres will continue uh, and keep this connection between our collection and their business. Thank you, Tim. Thank you again. That's Pedram Kozranajad, the curator of Persian Artifacts at the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney. And, of course, if you want to learn more about what's going on, just head to MAAS, that's Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences, maas.museum, and you'll see a link there to more information regarding this exhibition. 
Thanks very much for downloading the podcast once again. If you want to catch a transcript of the conversation I've just had with Pedram, you can find that in the information regarding this episode at www.insidethegallery.com.au where you'll also find links to our Facebook and Instagram pages and a link if you want to connect with us via our mailing list. We'll just send you a note every time a new edition is published so you'll never miss an episode. That is the podcast for now. I'm Tim Stackpole. Thanks so much for joining us. Until the next edition, bye-bye for now.